It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. Hi, I'm Jake from Locked On. What do the teams you root for, your music playlists, and your podcast feeds all have in common? Spoiler alert, they're a reflection of you, and that's what the State Farm Personal Price Plan has in common, too. It gives you options to help personalize your coverage so that you can protect what you care about most at an affordable price just for you, so you can see more of yourself in everything you love. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices vary by state, options selected by customer, availability, and eligibility may vary. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Who they think you're going to beat them Bengals? It is the Locked On Bengals podcast with your hosts Joe Goodberry and Jake Lisko. Find us on Twitter at Joe Goodberry and at Jake underscore NFL. Please like, subscribe, and share as we try to grow this community and pump out daily Bengals content just for you. What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Locked On Bengals podcast. A reminder, we do this podcast five days a week. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your podcast player of choice to get Joe and myself, Jake, coming to you daily with the latest Bengals news and the best analysis you can find. The Bengals lost to Seattle yesterday, and what we are at this point, I believe, dubbing a small moral victory and there are no moral victories in football or so the saying goes but we're going to call it a moral victory and our lead story today we're going to talk about whether or not this changes the outlook for the Cincinnati Bengals for 2019 and for the future for the rest of the show we're going to take a look at PFF grades and some of our initial second thoughts if that makes any sense as Joe and I have had a chance to review parts of the game think about some things in a little bit more detail. And there are a lot of you that are putting out great clips on Twitter that we've had a chance to look at. Now your Locked On Bengals lead story for September 10th. I'm Jake Lisko along with Joe Goodberry. Even though the Bengals lost their week one contest in Seattle, Joe and I both came away from the game encouraged and we find ourselves asking the question, how does this change the Bengals outlook for 2019 and into the future? And when we talk about the future, we mean are Lou Anarumo, Zach Taylor, etc. the correct coaching hires? Joe, what's your initial take? Does this change your outlook for 2019? Yeah, as I stepped back away from this game, watched the game again, reviewed some of the film, and looked at some of the situational play calling, and that was our biggest gripe from yesterday's podcast. Our initial reaction to the loss was that 
some of their late game situations and kicking situations and third down decisions weren't up to par for what you expect for a playoff team. There's some growing there. We liked the scheming of Zach Taylor. We liked how he kept trusting the young guys, keep going to John Ross, letting Andy Dalton throw when the defense really wasn't letting you run the ball. We liked those parts. So I, I stepped back and I said, okay, so this is, does this change your projection? Does this change the over-under on six, six and a half wins, depending on where you look? And I thought, yes, you probably start to lean above six to seven wins. Are they probably an eight-win team? Do we think that's a significant improvement? Are they able to win these close games or are these deficiencies still going to rear their head as the season goes along? And I came away thinking, I'm not sure I'm changing my projections overall short term, but I do think they, off of one game, made the right decision for the long term of the Bengals. Yeah, and I think this does move the needle for me a little bit. I have said since the season started, I've been six to nine wins for the Bengals, but I've been on the low side of that six to nine win range. And this moves it for me like seven to nine. And I'm also leaning toward eight wins now. They were nine and a half point underdogs. I want to reiterate nine and a half point underdogs in one of the most hostile environments in the National Football League, a place where Seattle hasn't lost in September in years and has outscored their opponents by over 100 points in their home openers in the last several years under Pete Carroll. The Bengals should have won that football game. Pete Carroll said after the game, we tried to get them to abandon the run, and the Bengals did abandon the run, but it was the right thing to do. The Seattle Seahawks could not stop the Bengals' passing game and only managed to do so when they made some mistakes. Dalton missed a throw to Tyler Boyd, which you clipped on Twitter today. That throw looks a lot worse to me today than it did when I watched it live especially when you put it up against Patrick Mahomes throwing it on the same route. Yeah, the Chiefs ran the same exact play, hit Sammy Watkins for a touch on almost on the same exact part of the field to the same side of the field. So it gave us a really good comparison of where that throw should have gone. Now, of course, everything's not a one-for-one comparable, but it did show you that, and this was the drive that ultimately ended up being the fourth and one run by Giovanni Bernard that was stuffed, and they got no points from being in Seattle's side of the field. So this went from being maybe at least three points for a field goal to maybe even missing a touchdown and taking it off the board. So I think that throw had a big outcome on the, the game. I think the fumble also had a big outcome on the game also in Seattle's side of the field. So some mistakes there, uh, two by the quarterback position, but at the same time, Dalton had such a good game that it's hard to fault him too much. Yeah, I think Dalton was mostly good. He missed a few throws, like we mentioned, the throw to Boyd, the throw to Ross that turned into a touchdown wasn't a great throw, but you don't really knock it because it's the end of the half. You're taking a shot right. and it worked. So you're never going to knock it. And even if it's intercepted, you're going to go down and say, well, you know what? At least they tried compared exactly. to Marvin Lewis, not trying to push the ball down the field in that situation, taking a knee or maybe trying to run a screenplay to see if he can get some yards before he goes for it. And this is right after the big drop by John Ross. So for Dalton to go right back to him on a deep shot, chucking it downfield, made a nice move in the pocket. You know, the good outweighed the bad, I think, overall in this game. I think the bad came at the worst moments, obviously, late in the game when it was really close. So if the Bengals win this game, Joe, does that change it for you at all? Or is this close enough to a win that that doesn't change your assessment? We have enough on tape. We have a good enough understanding of what was a fluke versus what's going to be systemic for the whole season, if it was a win, would it change your mind? It would because I haven't met seven wins anyways. So seven and nine for me, if I felt like this win was a stolen win, I didn't have it projected for them, that would get them to eight wins in my book. But I do think um, 
the things that went well, I thought were going to go well. I thought Zach Taylor and Andy Dalton should be a good mix together. I thought the running game would be better than what it was. So far, it's been exactly what it was in preseason. As you said, Jake, you're going to give it a few games before we're really sure that it's dead. But so far, we don't have a lot of good uh, tape to go off of for off of one game and preseason. So if they can revive the running game, if they can complete and round out the offense, if, if A.J. Green can get back, be healthy. And now I'm kind of really excited about A.J. Green and this offense and these three receivers. I think then, yes, I would be like, okay, eight wins should happen. Maybe they steal another one or two and get to 10 wins. This has been your Cincinnati Bengals lead story from Jake Lisko and Joe Goodberry of Lockdown Bengals. If you found $100 on the street, would you pick it up or keep walking? Of course you take the money. So why do you keep picking winners and not betting on them? That's why I go to my bookie. It's fast, it's easy, and they pay when you win. Let's face it. Where you're betting is just as important as who you're betting on. MyBookie offers a variety of options depending on your style of betting. You can bet on games after kickoff if by the second half it looks like your bet is going to lose, you can take the other side and recoup your cash. If you're the kind of guy that likes to bet a little and win a lot, you can try a parlay. If all your picks come through, you'll multiply your winnings. No matter how you bet, the NFL season is the best time of year. Join now and MyBookie will double your first deposit just use promo code locked on to activate the offer. That's promo code locked on. Visit mybookie.ag today to play so you win and get paid. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. So it's the day after a Bengals game. It's Monday for us as we're recording. It's Tuesday for you if you're listening on your way to work. Um, And Jake and I, we've got a different process. We've kind of married ours over the years because we've done so many projects together, especially after the game in terms of film review and things like that. But we wanted to give you an outlook of what to expect on a Tuesday or or Monday night podcast. And typically we've watched the game, obviously, live. Sunday we've reacted. You've listened to that episode. The next episode is we've heard the coaches speak at the podium. We've uh, watched the game again, even if it's just a condensed version, the 30 to 40 minute version. I watched that once today. Uh, People on the Internet are posting clips and takes and analysis, stats, things that will help paint a full picture. That's how usually Monday goes for me. Uh, I will look at PFF grades. They're the initial grades at this point where they can change their fluid. If you look at them in the morning versus at night, they will be different for a few players as, as things happen. And then going into Tuesday was when we get the film and we get the all 22 coaches film, different angles of things. It'll paint the full picture at that point. And there'll be at that point, it's usually like five to 10 plays. I want to go back and look at, I want to see a different angle. I want to see if that's what I think happened. And uh, typically it can be varying degrees of what, what you expect when you get a different sideline or end zone overhead angle. So, just want to give you that's what the process is. So today's podcast, as we're here right now, we've, we've seen this game again. We've seen a lot of clips. We've got PFF grades and stats, and I think we want to go over a few of them, right, Jake? 
Yeah, I think so. I think that there's always some stuff in the PFF data that's really interesting. And I said during the game that Sam Hubbard was balling out and that Geno Atkins was going to cause problems for that Seattle interior all day. And those two guys made PFF's team of the week on the defense. And the defensive line on the whole, and you tweeted about this, Joe, carried the day for the entire defense. The defensive line was winning. And so the defense was winning. They only ended up having to play 51 snaps. The Bengals took 75 offensive snaps. This isn't something we've talked about yet. Last year, it was the opposite of that for like the first half of the season. The two Bengals, years. Last two years? Okay. Yeah. The Bengals were getting dramatically outplayed and the defense would be put in these terrible positions because they were playing, you know, 20, 30 more snaps than the other team. And they were getting put in disadvantageous field positions all the time. That happened a couple times, and the Seattle did score the one touchdown off of it. But by and large, that defensive line was very, very good. Even Preston Brown yeah. graded out pretty well. And he, I think, was responsible for the – he, along with a misholding call on Geno Atkins, were responsible, I think, for the third down conversion on the one-yard third and one that Seattle essentially iced the game on. But Preston Brown even graded well. Yeah, and when I look at the linebackers, too, so they're targeted in coverage three times total, Jake. They give up six yards total. They allow to catch every time, but we're talking these got to be screens and, and dump downs and check downs. That's far and away from what we're expecting from a Bengals linebacker unit the past couple of years. And I love the, your point about the, the, the snap differential because I've tweeted about that a lot the last two years. They were at the point at ending last season where the defense has played five more games than the offense over the last two years. So this is a great rest. You want to see why the defense was so bad over the last couple of years? This has a big factor in it. And now you look at it and you say, okay, one other observation that jumped out for me instantly on the, on the defense when I looked at these numbers, they only played with two linebackers. So our concern with four linebackers and, and how that would provide depth, zero snaps for Jordan Evans listed as the other starter. Three step snaps for Jermaine Pratt only. They did not use a third linebacker at all. Instead, they were a 3-4, 5-2 team. And we, well, if they continue to do this, we will talk about the differences in that. The differences in a 4-3 team, it's not that big of a difference anymore. But we can talk about it to define it, declare it, so you guys know what's going on with that. But they are a multiple defense at this point if they're just going to use two linebackers. Yeah, and they're mostly a 3-4 base defense. Yeah, They were entirely a 3-4 base defense, I should say, against Seattle. And that resulted in Carl Lawson taking two snaps in coverage, Sam Hubbard taking three snaps in coverage. But you can live with that. Oh, yeah. I, would, I would have liked to have seen Carl Lawson get a few more opportunities to rush the passer. Me too. But when Sam Hubbard and Geno Atkins are having the kind of day they were having, Carlos Dunlap was very, very solid, had a few pressures, was very good in the run game as we are accustomed to. Ryan Glasgow, good in the run game as well. Everyone on the, de- on the defensive line played well, except for maybe Kerry Wynn. And Rennell Wren got two snaps and didn't really do much with him. But when you're getting down to those players on the depth chart, those guys combined for 11 total snaps. The guys that are getting the, the majority of the snaps all played well, were productive, were disruptive. One interesting thing John Sheeran tweeted today about the total number of pressures for both teams but when you look at it on a per drop back basis, Russell Wilson was the second most pressured quarterback in the NFL yesterday on just 24 dropbacks. He was pressured 45.8% of his dropbacks. Andy Dalton, by comparison, it wasn't great. He was pressured on 35% of his dropbacks for 20 out of his 56 dropbacks. But 
11 out of 24 for that Cincinnati defensive line. And that's about normal for Andy with a poor offensive line, 35%. And John also tweeted out his numbers. And we'll get to the offensive side in more in depth. But John, he showed basically Andy Dalton was unfazed by the pressure in terms of production. And that's fantastic to look at. If that's the biggest change you get from a Zach Taylor-led offense, then that will go a long way. Worth noting that he graded lower, significantly lower, as you would expect under pressure. But the production was still there. So maybe he's taking easier throws. And they're working out, and that's part of the system. But let's get back to the defense. A few other notes here before we move on. Are we concerned about Jesse Bates? Yeah, I guess so. The only reason I am is because the preseason wasn't a good outing for him. I mean, just based on PFF grades, we didn't notice him a lot. I noticed him missed tackles in preseason. He was graded as one of their worst players on defense during the preseason. And then now, again, in this game, we have a missed tackle on the Chris Carson run. I believe there was another one where he didn't get to that are, that stuck out to me, and then the big blown play that allowed Seattle to really take the lead and probably win the game was the uh, deep Tyler, Tyler Lockett play. So he and William Jackson, two guys that I think we believe has pro, have Pro Bowl potential and can really carry this sec, secondary for the Bengals. If they don't, if they're struggling, if they're up and down, now it's only one game, let's not overreact because we believe in this. the ability will win out eventually. Um, it's something to monitor and keep an eye on. Yeah. And interestingly, Sean Williams graded out pretty well in coverage by comparison. So the guys we didn't expect to grade well graded well, and the two guys we were counting on didn't have great games. William Jackson gave up that DK Metcalf play where Jesse Bates, I think, was a little bit late to react to it. I thought when that ball went up that Jesse Bates should have been able to make a play on it, and that's what I'm going to want to see on all 22 to see where Jesse Bates was and if he did have a chance to to come back and make a play on it. So that's one we might come back to later in the week. Yeah, But William Jackson also... He only gave up one catch technically, but Tyler Lockett should have had another 30-yard catch or so that it was just a stone-cold drop. Right, exactly. And the three lowest guys on defense per overall grade that played more than 10 snaps, let's put it some minimum there, are Jesse Bates, the lowest, William Jackson, and then B.W. Webb. So when three guys all in the secondary for a team, Seattle really wasn't passing it too much. They had a few big plays. That was it. Uh, That's Concerning. I think B.E.W. Webb and his penalty also in the in the back of the end zone. Was that on D.K. Metcalf? Yeah. It looked uncatchable. Some people brought that up. Metcalf's a freak, though, and huge. So I I would love if they gave the benefit of the doubt to A.J. Green on something similar. So I wasn't too mad. I just thought the decision to blatantly interfere as if he was completely beaten, which he wasn't, and the, and the, the throw and catch would have been, um, um, you know, kind of a miraculous one. It was bad play by B.E.W. Webb overall. And I thought the announcers had that one pretty well described as well when they described that he did have outside leverage all he had to do is turn and run with dk metcalf he could have had an interception if the ball is catchable right Right. because he's he's on him he knows where that route's going and he's just instead of turning and running with him he's face guarding him and leads to the penalty and and eventually the touchdown so the three highest guys then are sam hubbard andrew billings geno atkins and they all played pretty significantly, 41 snaps for Hubbard, which is great. It means he's a full-time, every-down player. Uh, Andrew Billings with 19, which means he's nose tackle rotating. And then Geno Atkins with 42 out there every play. But all of those guys, elite grades, 86 and above. I mean, that's, as you noted, PFF Team of the Week. Uh, going back and watching Atkins, because I don't think he even registered on the stat sheet other than maybe one tackle, but uh, he had five pressures according to PFF. Yeah, and some of them were very, very fast pressures that led to other players getting sacks. I thought Sam Hubbard had more than four pressures, but thinking back on it, he he had the one near sack where Russell Wilson managed to flip it to a running back. Mm-hmm. 
So I guess he might have only had the four. Clayton Fedulin, I thought this was interesting. I noticed during the game that he was getting some defensive snaps. He had 13 snaps. And yeah. the safeties didn't come off the field. So it's not like he was exactly. coming on the field to sub. They played with three safeties several times. Yep. More than they did with three linebackers. That's the key. So they played with five pass rushers, five defensive linemen, if you want to say, or three safeties way more than they played with three linebackers. And that's, I think that's the identity of the defense right now. I don't think they ever played with three linebackers. Right. It looks like either um, Preston Brown or Vigil came off for a snap or two, or even both of them at one point with, uh, and, and Pratt jumped in there. Yeah. Except for maybe there was a goal line snap. They might've had, three ah, that might've been it. Yeah. Yeah. There was a couple goal line snaps. So let's talk about what we might want to see for just about a minute here before we move on. And we talked about this a little bit. Carl Lawson only had 22 snaps and he is hypothetically the best pass rusher on the Bengals. And they should find some ways to get him on the field. He was fine in run defense yesterday, and he still stacked up some pressures too, but we want to see him have more opportunities to make differences in the game. Yeah, I don't need to see Kerry win. I don't, you know, I, I think Dunlap can take a couple plays off. Maybe it's because of the short amount of snaps. Maybe they figured we're going to have a longer fourth quarter where Seattle's got the ball, we've got the lead, we'll get Lawson in there. I think game flow may have dictated this a little bit, but I think of the one play for Kerry Wynn where he ended up dropping in the coverage and they targeted him. It was a tight end up to seam, I believe, on a third down. And I just thought, that's unnecessary. You know, why was he even out there, number one? Number two, uh, you're dropping him in the coverage. We already got issues with these guys dropping in the coverage at linebacker. We don't need a defensive lineman out there. But that's what's going to happen when they go to a more 3-4 look. We're going to get some guys in coverage. My point was just that I want Lawson out there, especially if you're dropping some guys in the coverage that don't need to be. Yeah, and especially if they're going to have three defensive tackles essentially on the field when they're in the 5-2, 3-4, whatever you want to call it, there's no reason for Lawson not to be on the field when he's protected by those three big guys inside. The last note I'll make is the Bengals had tackling issues. Seven different players missed a tackle, and that does not count bad angles. They need to clean that up. It made a huge difference in the game. The Seahawks scored a touchdown on it, the Seahawks. I think mustered up the courage to go for it on that last drive of the second quarter because Nick Vigil, I think, missed a tackle on a running back in the flat, and he ended up running for 10 yards instead of two yards. Those plays made a difference. And the final drive where Seattle ran the clock out, all for all intents and purposes, but they uh, that one, you know, third and one, I believe third and two it was, it just, you know, the gap was there. And then the goal line play also I think of when, uh, the the telecast did a good job of breaking this down. So those were kind of like the same plays. Seattle went heavy, and then there was really no linebacker in either one of those gaps. So while it's not a direct missed tackle per se, it's kind of a um, scheme issue where there's no one there to make a tackle, which happened a few times and I, I thought could be cleaned up. And that's something I'll look for to be cleaned up. Yeah, on the third down in particular to clinch the game for Seattle, they ran right at Geno Atkins after the Bengals walked Preston Brown to the left side of the formation, and really they were asking Geno Atkins to win that gap. That was his sole responsibility, and I think he was held. Actually, I think he was held quite badly, but Preston Brown, then that was his responsibility. There's no reason for him to be backside contained. They've got extra guys on that side of the line of scrimmage with Sean Williams over there in the box as well. And he was just too slow to work his way through the traffic. And part of that was Andrew Billings getting pushed off the line of scrimmage. But Billings recovered pretty quickly, and he actually almost made the play. So there are some things to clean up in the running game, I think. But for the most part, the defense was very good. Oh, yeah. In a minute, we'll talk about some of the interesting stats and tidbits on the offense on Monday night. 
including a surprising PFF Team of the Week member. Our great sponsor, Abco Safety, is a safety distributor located in Cincinnati. They're partnering with 3M to sponsor the Locked On Bengals podcast for the second time, and we really appreciate their support for the podcast. If you or your company purchase safety equipment, be sure to give them a call because they promise to save you money on your safety budget. You can check out their website at www.abcosafety.com, but please keep in mind those are retail prices. Joe, what are we looking at today? This may seem weird, but I was pulling into my driveway last night or early this morning because I work late, but uh, I wanted reflective strips on the tree that's right next to my driveway and the fence on the other side. And I thought, you know what? Abco Safety must have those. And I'm looking at them right now on their website. Abco Safety will establish corporate pricing for you if you become their customer. So give them a shot at quoting your safety equipment to see how much money they can save you. Give them a call at 513-672-1818 and mention Lockdown Bengals. Support a local business, and we appreciate Abco Safety sponsoring the Lockdown Bengals podcast. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Jake, let's head over to the offensive side of the ball where I'd say the first half was really fun and exciting despite losing Joe Mixon. And it sounds like, you know, we've got an update on him that he should be fine and may even play this week versus the San Francisco 49ers. But the Bengals only able to put up three points on the board in the second half ultimately led to their demise as there were a few opportunities where they, I think maybe even nine to 15 points were left off the board in those situations. And I don't want to harp on those because I just want to look at the player performances on today's podcast. And for me, I think it starts at quarterback. Uh, When you look at PFF grades, he ranks right now as the number 10 quarterback. There's four guys going tonight as we're recording, so it could move a little bit for him. Number 11 as a passer, I believe, right, Jake? Uh, So overall, okay day for Andy Andy Dalton. Anytime you're in the top, I'd say 12. I think that's a, a, a pretty good day. Yeah, somebody asked me on Twitter, if Andy Dalton finishes the season as PFF's number 11 passing quarterback, are the Bengals in the playoffs? And my answer was, if the defense plays the way it did yesterday all season and Andy Dalton is the 11th graded quarterback in the NFL, that's without A.J. Green, remember, who makes Andy Dalton better, then yes, if Andy Dalton finishes the season as PFF's 11th graded quarterback and the defense continues to play the way it did yesterday, I don't see why that's not enough. Those are two huge ifs. I said before the game, I said, here's some things we need to see. It was about seven or eight things. I didn't count. I wasn't planning that. But here's how the Bengals will have a surprise season. Number one is if Andy Dalton has a career year. Well, I think after one game down against a good Seattle team in Seattle, throws for career high in yardage, career high in completions, there's a chance we could get there. And again, it's without A.J. Green. I thought that would be the part that would really – Holding back those first four games, if, if he doesn't have green, we've seen his numbers without green. They're very pedestrian and over his career. Uh, and, uh, you know, if he can get out of this, if they can get out of this as a team two and two and Dalton still is producing and putting up numbers and performing efficiently, getting green back with the way Ross is playing right now. One game, I know, but 
you know, it's pretty exciting and fun. And then Tyler Boyd being Tyler Boyd, especially in that game, he could have had a big game. Uh, I think, you know, for the one missed throw. But if you get that out there and the tight ends look good, I think this could be, someone asked me today, compare the 2015 weapons versus these. And is it because, you know, Eifert's healthy then, a little bit different. We do have Eifert, not the same guy. We've got an older version of A.J. Green. But there's a scenario where Boyd's better than Sanu. I think he is right now. And I think there's a scenario where Ross is better than Marvin Jones. And he's not there yet. But I think upside-wise, where he was drafted, he should be. So if they get to that point, the offensive line may be worse. But it really wasn't a big factor in, in Sunday's game. Yeah, I thought Andy Dalton did a lot of things really well. We talked about the throws he missed, but the stat that I think speaks really well to how good he was throwing the ball is his adjusted accuracy percentage from Pro Football Focus. He had an 86.7% adjusted completion percentage, adjusted accuracy percentage, and that is because he had four balls dropped on him, and maybe that turns into three depending on what they decide about John Ross's drop or not drop. I'm not sure if that's included here. Still an accurate throw either way. True. Threw the ball away twice and had four batted passes. And I think I counted six, but PFF has it at four. And he had the two balls slip out of his hand. Those didn't count as passes. Those counted as as fumbles. So those aren't included here. But if you add up all of his incompletions that were not because of something that he could control, that's 10 passes, which would take you to 45 out of 51. Right. And, uh, those were, I think, in a lot of ways, the best plays or best qualities for him is that he remained accurate. The offense was functional when they were throwing the ball. I think the only time they really got into weird situations was when they tried to say, okay, let's run the ball a little bit. And to be true to the football, I guess you got to run it once in a while. There were times during the game I just thought, abandon it. And, you know, watching the game in, in review when your emotions are out of it and you know the end result, I, every time they ran it, I felt like they were punting the ball or wasting a play. So those drives put them in third and long situations on a few t- of, of, a few drives. And we know that with this offensive line, you don't want Andy Dalton just dropping back and throwing it right now. So the play action and, and misdirections are going to help give him extra time. And they really did. Um, the best play, the best throw to me in this game was the wheel route to John Ross and because it's schemed open, so I love that from a Zach Taylor perspective of how we're going to project this offense. I love that he kept going to Ross. It was Ross's first big play of the game. And that the throw has to be over the linebacker with enough zip on it to keep it, you know, get it to him quickly enough so that safety coming across the top can't really make a play on Ross. And he does all of that. And uh, so for that, he gets a lot of credit for me. PFF also really liked his deep shot down the right side of the field to John Ross that you posted the picture of on Twitter that should have potentially been pass interference in the still frame. It's very obvious that the Seattle Mm -hmm. defender, I think it was Griffin, gets there early, is wrapping John Ross up as he's going up to try to catch the ball. So that was another throw that that PFF credited Andy Dalton for. Let's look at Andy Dalton under pressure a little bit here. Passer rating under pressure was actually better than it was when he wasn't under pressure, 117.4 versus 101, but his overall grade was worse. He had those fumbles, obviously, when he was under Mm -hmm. a little bit of pressure, so his fumble grade was really, really bad, and his overall passing grade was a little bit worse, too. But from a production perspective, 92% adjusted accuracy percentage, uh, 10.2 yards per attempt, had a touchdown was very good production-wise under pressure. Yeah, it's interesting to have uh, kind of a split dynamic here where the grades aren't great under pressure, but he was productive. 
you know, there are, it's kind of like 2015. I remember thinking there was a, a few points where uh, I made the argument or kind of brought up the discussion of getting good quarterback play versus getting good quarterback production. You can get both in the same game. You can get one or the other. It can vary. But uh, I think always want the good quarterback production. And sometimes that doesn't mean you're getting good quarterback play. There's some errors or some mistakes, or maybe the, it's a lot of scheme throws where probably 25 quarterbacks couldn't make that. I'm not saying that was the game on Sunday. I think we need to see much more film and how this offense is going to roll for a full season before I have any idea how that works. But there were three pressures PFF charged to Andy Dalton. So they were his fault. It means he stepped into them, stepped away from it, stepped out of a clean pocket too early. And he it, it resulted in two sacks, which I believe – um, probably were the two fumbles that he ended up causing uh, on his own, which one wasn't a fumble or not, but it is charged that way as of right now. So there were still some errors in the pocket, moving within the pocket, but if the production can be elevated, it's kind of hard to see how, you know, I'll, I'll be mad at that. I, I want the production even when a pocket's muddy because I think that's key. That's a, it's a big difference between good quarterback play and bad quarterback play is being able to, to really function when things break down. And you might be able to credit some of that to coaching too, right? Like this might yeah. be a, an instance where another quarterback would have been even better in this scheme, but Andy Dalton is able to function just fine. And that's not a knock on Andy Dalton, just to be clear. He was good enough for the Bengals to win the game if you take away the two, well, the fumble, but the the first fumble. But, but we might get some more information when we have the all 22 available to us. Let's talk about the biggest positive, I would say, for the Bengals coming out of this game, and that's Trey Hopkins who was, according to PFF, the best center in the NFL on Sunday. He did not give up a pressure in pass protection and was the only Bengals offensive lineman with a pass blocking grade better than average. And more importantly, he had a 75 run blocking grade. Now the next offensive lineman had a 60, Bobby Hart. So clearly way above everybody else. I'm going to be honest with you, I didn't notice during the game. He's somebody that when the All-22 comes out, because I like watching offensive line from the end zone angle because you can see the splits better. You can see um, who's if a guy's lined up in his gap or not. Sometimes from the side, you really can't tell if he's on his shoulder over his head or in, or in, in between the two players. So you get to see that, and uh, you kind of see the, the veracity of the trench play a little bit more. So I'm, I'll definitely focus on Trey Hopkins on rewatch. I think it'll be interesting to see if the guards beside him blowing blocks in the running game led us to not notice that Trey Hopkins was winning as much because both Michael Jordan and John Miller had very tough games as run blockers in particular. John Miller was, as we said, he would be just fine as a pass blocker. Interestingly, Bobby Hart didn't actually grade that poorly. He was a Bengals' second best lineman in this game. Drew Sample only got on the field for three snaps and... Maybe that's because the other two tight ends played a ton. CJ Uzama had 53 snaps and Tyler Eifert had 37 snaps. So they ran a fair amount of two tight end sets. Both tight ends, I think, Tyler Eifert and CJ Uzama played pretty well. I would like to see Eifert used a little bit more aggressively. We both talked about this. Let's get him in the seam. Let's use him for some big plays instead of using him as a third down kind of target. He was good on those third downs. He had several first down catches, just like Tyler Boyd did in the similar similar usage, but... Eifert's a big play in in a in a body. Yeah, and surprisingly, Damian Willis led the receivers in snaps. So 75 total plays for the offense, 67 snaps for Damian Willis means there was a rotation at wide receiver, uh, but Willis played the most, which is surprising. Ross for 61, Tyler Boyd for only 59. Following after that, Alex Erickson with 11, Farrell Cooper with 8. And 
Damian Willis, for all of the great work he did in the preseason, Seattle secondary, not very good. He had a tough game. Wasn't getting separation. Uh, a couple times, he, he drew that one pass interference penalty, but both on that play and another play that was broken up, he should have been coming back to the ball instead yeah. of waiting for it to come to him. So he's an undrafted rookie. You shouldn't have too high expectations, but you hope that things get a little bit better for him as the Bengals look to be at least another week or two without A.J. Green. Last point, Kevin Huber. We mentioned it yesterday, but PFF Team of the Week for the punter. How about that? Yeah, he was excellent. He dropped two punts inside the 20, and I think those were more like inside the 10. And then he had the one that went for a touchback that really should have been down at the one-inch line. Huber had a great, great game. That's going to do it for this episode of the Lockdown Bengals podcast. We'll be back tomorrow with the Crossover Wednesday episode. We will be joined by Brian Peacock of Locked On 49ers and an age-old Bengals rivalry will come to fruition in Cincinnati next Sunday. Until then, Bengals fans, have a good one. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.